So if you please join me in our scripture of the day, it's printed in your bulletin, or if you're worshiping with us online, you will find it on your screen. So let us say the scripture from Matthew together. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubble, stubborn rebel did his prince, and yet tis nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fiery moment. Tis to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell this last night, that you was suffered to awake again to this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you haven't gone into hell since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you don't this very moment drop into hell. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger that you are in. Tis a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of the fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of God, whose wrath is provoked sense as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and to burn it asunder. Now before y'all fire me on the spot, <laughs> I yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> I hope you recognized fairly quickly that these were not my words, as this is a very small, very small excerpt from Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, as preached on July 8, 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut. Edwards was a Presbyterian pastor, and believe it or not, was considered one of colonial America's greatest thinkers and theologians, and he was very instrumental in the movement known as the Great Awakening. The history 
The History Channel defines the Great Awakening as a religious revival that impacted the English colonies in America during the 1730s and the 1740s. The movement came at a time when the idea of secular rationalism was being emphasized and passion for religion had grown stale. Christian leaders often traveled from town to town preaching about the gospel, emphasizing salvation from sin and promoting enthusiasm for Christianity. Some themes to come from this movement include the idea that all people can have a direct and emotional connection with God, and that religion shouldn't be formal and institutionalized, but rather casual and personal. The result was a renewed dedication towards religion. Many historians believe the Great Awakening had a lasting impact on various Christian denominations and American culture at large. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me like we could use another Great Awakening right now. And I think we can still apply this description from the History Channel today when it says that the movement came at a time when the idea of secular rationalism was being emphasized and passion for religion had grown stale. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But I would also argue that the church has done a really good job at giving people just cause for no longer being passionate about religion. And clearly, sermons like the ones of Jonathan Edwards and others like him would not be very welcome in today's pulpit. We know that fire and brimstone preaching isn't going to connect with the hearts and minds of 21st century America because in some ways that would alienate the masses. But at the heart of his words, he's not wrong. We are all indeed sinners. And sometimes the church does a good job of tiptoeing around that as well. So let's just be forthright. Let's just Get it out there. Let's just put it all out on the table and acknowledge that yes, each and every one of us is a sinner. It's in our DNA. It's part of who we are. And we have been doing it ever since the first two feet set foot on earth's soil, all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's human nature because of the fall. Yet we don't want to talk about it. It's hard enough to admit these things to ourselves, let alone to someone else. And we definitely, definitely don't want someone like, say, a preacher to stand up in a pulpit and to get in your face and to remind you of this fact. But I suppose that's exactly what I am doing right now. But my intention for doing so is this, to remind us all of our need for Jesus. Oftentimes when we start thinking about sin and perhaps examining our own hearts and reflecting on our own words and actions, and then at the same time listening to the news and hearing stories of crimes committed, or when we think back to those things we learned about in history class and think about some of the deplorable actions of humanity through the ages, we may be prone to justify ourselves because those sins that we do commit are really not all that bad. 
And that is absolutely true. I once heard this story about a conversation between two men who were prisoners in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. One man, each and every day, got on his knees and gave continual thanks to God. The other man who noticed this, after a while, became indignant at this praying man's actions and his words. So, so one day, he just had to ask him, how in the world can you give thanks to God? Look at where we are. Look at what's happening around us. What are you possibly giving thanks for? To which the praying man replied, I am giving thanks to God that I am not like those people who have imprisoned us here. Of course, some sins are greater than others. Like stashing extra sugar packets in your purse from your table at the diner versus, say, murder. So when we get tripped up in thinking about some of those deplorable people that we know from history, or maybe even those deplorable people we know from our own lives, and then when we hear the message of God's grace to all in spite of their sins, whatever they may be, we can get lost in a web of sticky self-righteousness and maybe even some disdain and resentment. But you see, reconciling with the grace that God shows to others is not our job. Our job is to simply acknowledge our own personal sin and then to merely receive the grace that is also given to us. So it's good for us to be reminded of the heart of the matter, that we need to go back to the garden and understand our history as a human race, that we are all sinners, and thus help us to gain an appreciation as to God's great love for us and the grace he has given in spite of our actions for millennia. The Bible is full of some pretty outrageous and off-the-ball sins, especially to our 21st century minds. Just ask anyone who is currently doing the Bible in a Year Challenge. Woo boy, we have read some pretty rough stories this week, and we've had some pretty interesting conversations about it in our Facebook group. Many of us have struggled with the inclusion of such stories filled with such deplorable sins. But what this shows us is that we come from a very long line of broken, valuable, sinful people, yet God still chose to dwell among them and love them. In the same way, he continues to choose to dwell among us and to love us. And because of the fall, we have been separated from God. But that is so not what God wants at all. Thus, our need for a Savior. God has laid out clear boundaries for us in the ways in which he wants us to live our lives, but when we do cross those boundaries, and we will cross those boundaries, God's grace is always there to meet us on the other side because of Jesus. Jesus willingly fulfilled God's plan for redemption by going to the cross on our behalves. He broke our fall 
by being broken himself. So yes, we are all sinners. Mix that in with the fact that life is not easy and some days are darker than others. And we all don't need fire and brimstone sermons coming from our pulpits. But we certainly do need to be reminded of our need for a Savior. And not just the Savior who rescues us from the pit of eternal destruction, because I believe we have enough of our own hell on earth. This is where a relationship with Jesus helps us to navigate the rough waters of our everyday. Because we believe that today, right now, what we need most is what lies at the heart of the Christian message. And the heart of the Christian message is truly good news. It's hopeful and it's helpful. It's not just for some day, it's for every day. And we especially, Kelly and I, other leaders in the congregation, and you all in your speech and actions, we all have been doing our darndest to try and share this message as much as we can. This message of hope. And yes, Kelly and I have the privilege of this pulpit, but we've all got the privilege of using the pulpits of our lives to be beacons of hope. Because we know that as Christ followers, that the message of his life is what is needed most in this world. We are all united by our sinfulness. Thus, we are all united by our need for Jesus. We are declaring with the whole of our lives that we truly believe that hope begins here. The hope that began with the first sin committed in the garden, thus putting into motion God's story of redemption. The hope that began with the proclamation of the angel to Mary and Joseph. The hope that began with the newborn baby in a manger. The hope that began in the empty tomb. And the hope that now resides in our need for Jesus, the one who breaks our fall. Amen. Um.